Manuel, our sermon, which we're turning to right now, is called Messy Gods. We're talking about freedom, and we're also talking about idols, uh, things that hold us back from that. And uh, we wanted to get some of your guys' thoughts as we start. Hey, friends. So I asked a couple of people at our outside service two questions. The first question was this. What is an idol? I, idol is, is basically, that's the thing you focus on. That's, that's really your, your key focus. An idol is anything that takes the place of God. It could be anything. Coca-Cola, it could be running, it could be exercise, uh -huh. it could be anything. Well, in the safety of my mask, I can say, <laughs> an idol is anything that you put your trust in more than you trust God. So what is freedom to a Christian? I guess freedom for me is, is the cross and knowing that uh, it, it's been finished there. Uh -huh. And I'm a work in progress, but the Holy Spirit's working in me and that I don't have to depend on myself. So I would say freedom is not having to earn your place or your status with any kind of behavior. God accepts you as you are. You are free. What in your life feels so necessary that if you were to lose it, that you would have to stop and ask whether or not life feels worth living? Now, that may seem a little dramatic to you, but I think if we were to dig down deep into our hearts, to, to go through the jungle that is our emotions, our desires, and our mind and in our hearts, that we would all come to grips with the reality that there are things in our lives that fit into that category. You know, for me, when I was thinking about this, the, the thing, a couple of things popped into my mind. I think at different times in my life, the question of if I was alone, would life feel worth living? Where I placed friends and family members, relationships into that place. And I think at other times in my life, again, if I'm being honest, I would say that money has fit into that category. Not in the, I need to make all the money and be really incredibly wealthy. I'll, though I probably wouldn't have turned it down, but more in the, well, you know, if I didn't have enough money to do the things that I want to do, would life actually feel worth uh, living? If I didn't have enough money to go to the restaurants and coffee shops that I want to go to, if I didn't have enough money to have the house and the car that I want to have, if I didn't have the money to uh, entertain myself in the way that I want to be entertained, if I didn't have enough money to do the trips, to travel where I wanted to travel, if I didn't have enough money to do all of those things, would life actually feel like it's worth living? And I think for all of us, if we were to dig deep, we would find things like that at the core of who we are. Some of them may have been a little embarrassing, to be honest. And I think 2020 has been the year of embarrassing things that we've placed a lot of value on. Things like, oh, I don't know, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, uh, your favorite junk food that you eat when uh, you're feeling anxious about life, uh, that restaurant that you'd like to call for carry out, whatever it is. You know, there was a church that did something called Quarantine the Musical, which I got a kick out of. They basically did a parody of all the musicals and then put it uh, in the lyrics that fit what 2020 has looked like. And I think as we watch this clip that some of it may hit home for quite a few of us. Let's watch this. Chicken wings with flaming hot 
stuffed crust meat lovers pizzas. 30 minute delivery at no extra cost. I'm cooked up, I'm anxious, I need something oh so tasty. I know it's completely so bad for me. Still I eat five donuts, 25 bowls of Lucky Charms for dinner. That's how I get through this endless quarantine. I need what I love. I need what I love. I eat what I love and that's how I get through this. What a line for 2020, right? What a line for what it looks like to just make it in this year. Uh, I love uh, that. What do you rely upon to get through life? Well, my name's Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're continuing our series called Our Mess, His Message, and where we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And today we're talking about messy gods. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Paul says, So my dear friends... Flee from the worship of idols. But what's an idol? What are we talking about with that word? Uh, well, Tim Keller wrote a great book called Counterfeit Gods where he defined this. Listen to what he says. Anything more important to you than God. It's anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything that you seek to give you what only God can give. I love that middle part. Anything that absorbs your heart and your imagination more than God. I think we can relate to that. We can find some common ground with that idea. You know, 1 Corinthians was written to a church in the city of Corinth in the Roman Empire. During Paul's time, it was a newer city. It was a city that had been rebuilt. And like all good Roman cities, it had lots of temples, lots of places to go and worship, lots of options for you. They had temples to Poseidon, to Apollo, to Venus, to Demeter, uh, to Hermes. They had three temples to Aphrodite. They even had a temple that was dedicated to all the gods. They made sure nobody was left out in this equation. But that's, that's ancient history. That's the Corinthians. What about us? What's it look like for us to have an idol? What do we worship? Well, I like what Rod and uh, Denoid and Jim said in that clip where they said that an idol was anything that you place your trust in. And like Denoid said, that could be anything from your favorite beverage to running a marathon. There's all different types of things that we place our trust in today. But a funny thing about idols is that they seem to be the most open-handed option, the one that you have to commit to the least, the one that gives you the, the opportunity to choose others. Uh, and I think that that appeals to us because we like choices. We like different options. But the reality is that more doesn't equal the better result. Three is not always better than one. It's true with candy and it's true with gods. We understand this. Sometimes one is much better choice to take. But just like back in Corinth in Paul's day, today many people are worshiping at the altars of all different kinds of gods. Idols give the illusion of more. But here's the reality. Idols lead to captivity but Jesus leads to freedom. Idols lead to captivity, but Jesus leads to freedom. 
This morning, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. If you have a Bible, open up to it. If you don't, uh, I'd invite you on, on the screen where you're watching uh, next to the pe- public chat. You, can, you have a Bible tab. Click on that. Open it up to 1 Corinthians 8 and read along with me this morning. But before we read, I want to just pray with us. So pray with me. Jesus, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your realness here. God, I just pause and I just thank you for this church. Thank you for the people who are connected in with us this morning. And I pray for you to speak to them. I pray for you to show them who you are. Let them be changed and aware of your presence and your power this morning. I thank you for how much you love us and for the great links that you've gone for us to be able to be in relationship with you. So I ask for you to come fill their houses, fill each person and engage with us today. Let your, let your presence be a felt reality for each person in Jesus name. Amen. So first Corinthians chapter eight, again, if you have a Bible, open up and read along with me. I'm going to read the whole thing. So let's go for it. Here's what it says. Now, regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols. Yes, we know that we have knowledge about the issue, but while knowledge makes us feel important, it's love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much, but the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. So what about eating meat that has been offered to idols? Well, we all know that an idol is not really a God and there's only one God. There may be many so-called gods, both in heaven and on earth. And, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But for us, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things were created and for whom, all, for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. I want to pause there just for 30 seconds because I love verse six because theologians have have uncovered the fact that this was a early church creed. This was perhaps the earliest creed that they ever had. This was a statement of beliefs that all of the church would have repeated on a regular basis. We say things like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Back in Paul's day, this verse six was what they would have said to, to assert what it is that they believed about God, what it is that they believed about Jesus. This was foundational for them. So from that, let's continue on to verse seven. However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship to the true gods and their weak consciences are violated. It is true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it. We don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you with your superior knowledge eating in the temple of an idol, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that has been offered to an idol? So because of your superior knowledge, a weak believer for whom Christ died will be destroyed. And when you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live, for I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. 
You must be careful so that your freedom does not cause somebody else to stumble. Now, this whole argument that Paul's laying out there may seem super foreign to us because we don't do idol sacrifices in the same way. We don't like take animals and do all the weird stuff. You know what I'm talking about. We don't do that anymore. So what is Paul getting at? And does Paul, I I think it brings up a question for us. Does Paul actually care if they eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols? And for that, I think that it's important that we know that, yes, I think Paul actually does have an opinion. Here's why. Because in Acts chapter 15, we're told of a meeting between all of the leaders in the early church. All of the big dogs came together. Peter and the other apostle, James, who is the leader of the Jerusalem church and the brother of Jesus and Paul and all of his friends, they all came together to talk about Gentiles and what Gentiles needed to do in order to become Christians, to become followers of Jesus. And so they had this big, long debate, this big, long conversation. And at the end of the day, they wrote this letter letter that they then sent Paul and a couple of his friends out to give to churches all throughout the Roman Empire. And here's what it said in verse 28 and 29. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. What's number one on that list? Food sacrifice to idols. It's one of the main things that Paul and the other leaders said not to do. So I do think that Paul had an opinion. Paul took this. He preached on this. He shared this with all of the Gentile churches that he went to. Did Paul change his mind down the road? Maybe. I don't know. But what I think actually is probably truer to form is this. I think Paul was actually open-handed on an issue that he actually had an opinion about. I think Paul thought that it wasn't great to eat food that was sacrificed to idols because Paul was a classically trained Israelite. He had been trained from birth on that this was not an okay practice. And he had very strong uh, theological beliefs on why this was not a great idea. But if eating wasn't a part of worshiping, then he was open-handed with it. I imagine his argument, if you would have dug a little bit deeper, if you sat down and you had a conversation, you're like, Paul, tell me about eating meat, uh, sacrifice to idols. He would have looked at you and he would have said something like this. Stephen, yes, you can eat temple meat without worshiping the temple gods. If you can do that, then it's fine. But can you actually eat temple meat without being a part of the worship practices that go on in those temples. And then he would drop the mic and he would walk off the stage. Can you? Sure. Should you? Um, and you know, although eating food sacrificed to idols does not hit home for you and me. That's not an issue we have anymore. I think there is something that that comes a little bit closer um, that we can understand, and that's drinking alcohol. And, And stick with me for a second, regardless of which side of it that you're on. Listen to what I'm saying here. You know, I grew up in a church where no one would admit that they ever had a glass of wine or that they drank a beer at home. Now, 
they did. Some of them did. And as I got older, I realized that they did, but they would never admit it to anybody else that went to the church. And it was looked on just super negatively. But when I got older, I went to a church. It was actually a vineyard church where uh, that was not the same way that they viewed it. And so people were fine with having a, a glass or two in moderation. And if you were of age and all that fun stuff. And so I was all about it. I was like, great. You know, I'm not getting drunk. I'm following within the rules. This is fine. But here's the thing. If I invite somebody over to my house who is in recovery. If I invite somebody over to my house who has a parent, uh, a spouse, uh, a child who is an alcoholic, and I take out a beer and I sit down during dinner at my house, just one, and I drink it, is that the best thing for them? Is it helpful for me to have a beer in front of them if that's the case? Can I? Sure. Should I? Um, but you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. Here's the thing, friends. Freedom for me cannot equal captivity for you. Freedom for me cannot equal captivity for you. That has to be the case. So what is freedom to a Christian? Well, in 1 Corinthians 9, the next chapter, Paul lays this out beautifully in verses 19 through 23. Listen to what he says. Even though I am a free man with no master, I become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed Jewish law, I too lived under the, the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did it so that I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. Instead, I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. Why? So that I can bring them to Christ. Yes, I find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessings. When I was with the Jews, I lived with like the Jews. When I was with the Gentiles, I didn't live like I was with the Gentiles or with the Jews. Why? In order to save some. What is your purpose in doing things? What is your purpose in having freedom? Is it so just that you can have options or is it so that you can save some so you can show people who Jesus Jesus is. This is what freedom looks like to a follower of Jesus. Sometimes it requires us to be open-handed about things that we have an opinion about. Freedom as a Christian, sometimes it requires me to give up my options, my choices, so that I could show Jesus to others. It's as simple as this, my rights versus his love, which is greater in your heart. Which is greater, being correct in an argument or showing someone who Jesus is? Which is greater, your freedom to do what it is that you want to do or showing somebody who Jesus is? 
I know what the choice should be. It has to be greater to show people who Jesus is. Your freedom is given up at times as a follower of Jesus so that other people can know Jesus. That is what true freedom starts to look like. Freedom as a Christian could be complex. And sometimes it feels like, why do I have to go through this? Why can't you just like give me a rule book and tell me what I have to do and what I can't do? Why do I have to make decisions? Why do I have free will? And C.S. Lewis drops a knowledge bomb on us about this. Listen to what he says. If a thing is free to be good, it's also free to be bad. So why then did God give free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is the only thing that makes any love or goodness or joy worth happy, having. Why doesn't Jesus just dictate everything to us? Because free will, freedom, is the only thing that makes love, joy, and uh, goodness worth it. And he knows that. He wants us to choose him freely. So here are three things that freedom equals for followers of Jesus. Freedom first equals choosing the good. One theologian wrote this. In the New Testament, freedom does not mean the ability to be a disinterested decision maker. Freedom is the ability to be released from the predisposition towards evil in order to choose the good. Wow, I just think that is such a powerful way of saying it. Freedom as a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that you can just choose whatever you want whenever you want to. It means you make a very conscious choice to follow Jesus in every single decision that you make to choose the good that is Jesus in every single decision that you make. You know, my, my meal choices in my 20s were a great example of this because I ate whatever I wanted to eat. When I was in my 20s, I'd go to the grocery store. I was single, so I'd go to the grocery store and I'd buy whatever I wanted. If I wanted Lucky Charms for dinner that night and I did this, then I would buy Lucky Charms and I would eat it for dinner that night. If I wanted steak and potatoes, I would eat it for dinner that night. That's fine. If I didn't want to eat vegetables, I did not eat vegetables. And if I wanted to eat a large pepperoni pizza by myself in one evening, I would happily order that pepperoni pizza and eat it all by myself. And in fact, there was a year-long period where I did that every single Tuesday night. On my way home from the bank, I would call and order and pick it up on my way home and then proceed to eat it in one sitting. Uh, Unfortunately, Lucky Charms and eating a large pizza were not choosing the good as I firmly came to know later on in life. But freedom isn't about just getting to choose your own meal. It's about being free to choose the good in life. The opposite of freedom, friends, is not a lack of options. The opposite of freedom is captivity, a place where options and choices are nothing more than an illusion. Catch that. The opposite of freedom is not a multiple choice question. The opposite of freedom is captivity. Are our choices more marked by our idols or by Jesus? Do we choose what makes us happy in the moment or what pushes us to love Jesus and others more? What guides our decision-making process? If you dig into that, you're going to learn a lot about what you actually value in your life. 
after worship, we're going to take a moment, we're going to pray, and we're going to ask God to speak to us on this simple question. What choice in my life holds power over me? And it might be uh, food-related. It might be money-related. It might be uh, relationship-related. Something about your, you know, your spouse or, or your kids or your friends. It might be something sex-related. It might be media-related. It could be a lot of things. But what in your life holds power over you? Surrendering that idol to Jesus means asking him to give you the freedom so that you can choose the good in place of the other that's there. Here's the second thing. Freedom equals loving others. You're not surprised by that, right? Living in freedom and community means serving others. Living in freedom means that you have been given through the Holy Spirit the ability to give up your freedom for someone else. I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. I don't want to cause anyone to stumble because of what my freedom has, has given me. Because freedom for me cannot equal captivity for you. So here's something practical for you to do this week. How about this? I want you to take this seriously too. This week, I want you to live as freely for other people as possible. I want you to choose to live freely for others. And here's what that could look like. Give up your freedom for them. For some of us, it might mean on the Monday that we, we choose to, to close our laptop an hour early so that we can spend a little bit of time with our spouse. It might mean that on Tuesday that we come home from work two hours early so that we can hang out with our kids outside on a nice day. On Wednesday, it might mean going and intentionally spending time with that neighbor or that friend who's been going through a really hard time. On Thursday, it might mean getting a babysitter so that you and your spouse can go on a date night for the first time since before COVID. On Friday, it might mean taking your kids to go do that thing that they've been wanting to do. On Saturday, it might mean uh, giving up your freedom and doing what it is that your parents have asked you to do. Whatever it looks like, I want to encourage you to be intentional about it this week. Spend time really thinking about. Don't just hope that something happens, that you get some space to be able to do something, but be intentional about it. Live seven days in freedom, free to love others well, because friends, I think that that's what heaven looks like. I think that that's a taste of heaven right there, loving others well when you have the option to do otherwise. Lastly, freedom equals becoming more like Jesus. Why? Why? Because blindly worshiping the idol of the moment will never allow you to worship the Lord and Savior of your entire life. If you are so caught up in momentary choices about worshiping something that's given you an option right then and there, you'll never be able to focus on the big picture and to see the path that Jesus is laying out for you. Last C.S. Lewis quote, but he says, of course, we never ask to be made into the sort of creatures that he's going to make us into. But the question is not what we intended ourselves to be, but what he intended us to be when he made us. Freedom doesn't mean that we go wherever our short-sightedness takes us. True freedom means that we become what Jesus has intentionally created us to be. That, my friends, is the goal. That is the dream. That is what we are living for. 
And Jesus is the great example, right? He gave up all of his freedom so that we could know him. He came, he became as a slave, one who had no master, who had no bounds. He made himself as a slave. He gave up every choice and option that he had when he could have at any time broken free of it. But he chose to be led to death and death on a cross. Why? So that we could know him in relationship, so that he could bring many to himself. He gave up everything to bring people, to bring life to all people. Jesus frees us from the idols that control us, friends. This is the good news. He frees us from their superstitions, from their practices, from their objects of worship. He frees us from their fear and from their control. He frees us from being bound down. The Corinthians worshiped in big temples with obvious ways of worshiping. We worship in our homes, in our offices, and yes, sometimes, unfortunately, even in our churches. But giving up your choice of gods may feel restricting at first, but it leads to the greatest freedom that you could ever know. Because freedom equals choosing the good. Freedom equals loving others. Freedom equals becoming more like Jesus. And friends, idols lead to captivity, but Jesus leads to freedom. That is the good news that we can stand firm in. I want to invite you to pray with me before we worship a little bit. And here's what I'm going to pray for. I'm going to pray for Jesus to start to bring some freedom. We're going to pray about it a little bit more. But I just want to pray right now that he'll come and bring an awareness to our hearts of what he's doing and what he's uh, showing us, what he's highlighting that maybe we've been putting our confidence in, our trust in instead of him. So will you pray with me? Jesus, I just thank you for your grace that you don't shun us because even though we've been worshiping something else, that you don't push us away, but that you love us, you draw closer to us, you give us grace to be able to break free from the things that try to hold us back. And so I ask for your freedom to come. I pray for you to speak clearly to our hearts, speak clearly about what it looks like to walk away from the things that we've been worshiping and to worship you and you alone. Help us to be people that are marked by freedom, that are marked by a freedom that comes only in knowing you. Break the chains from off of us. Give us hope. Give us life. In Jesus' name, amen.